The history is that it was once a rural road, but the area is changing. There's still developments happening. There's people who are moving here. And so we need to be thinking about what the roadways need to be into the future. That was Daniel Heyer, founder and civil engineer at Line and Grade. His team is working with Albemarle County to create the Rio Road Corridor Plan. In this episode, we'll have a conversation about the history of the corridor, what the challenges and opportunities are with the current conditions, and we'll even get to that fantastic question, what is so great about a roundabout? Welcome to Let's Talk Albemarle. I'm your host, Serena Gruya. I'm the public engagement specialist with Albemarle County in beautiful central Virginia. I've been in this position for just about two years and every day I learn more about local government and our community. I've spoken with so many people who really want to get involved in local governance, but don't know where to start. Well, it's my hope that this podcast is a starting point to supporting community participation. And for those of you who are already super engaged, a chance to dig into important topics. So today, let's talk Albemarle about the Rio Corridor Plan. I am sitting here with Daniel Heyer. Um, Daniel, why don't you tell me a little bit about you and what your position is at Lining Grade? Sure. Uh, so yeah, Daniel Heyer. I live here in Charlottesville and um, I established a civil engineering firm about seven years ago called Line and Grade. And Line and Grade was kind of just uh, an experiment to see what it might be like to be an engineering firm that was both creative, thoughtful, try to be progressive where we can be, and um, and really it's been well received and we're still around and still working on awesome projects like this one. So Line and Grade was hired as uh, the design team to uh, develop the Rio Corridor plan. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the corridor and uh, why we might need a corridor plan? This road used to be rural and this area used to be rural. But what we're seeing as, you know, a lot of cities developed, you know, post, you know, depression era, 30s, 40s, 50s, is that the the rural areas became developed. It was suburban sprawl, it happened everywhere. And so the context of the roads had to change accordingly. And so we've seen that context change on Rio Road, north and west of the John Warner Parkway, where it's become a four lane highway. We haven't seen that in Rio Road where it is still um, between John Warner and the city line because really there's not the space to do it for one and the context is still um, markedly or observably different than um, the other portion of Rio Road. So the history is that it was once a rural road, but if you're around the area and live in the area, you know that the, the area is changing. There's still developments happening. There's people who are moving here. And so we need to be thinking about what the roadways need to be into the future. Yeah, we're sitting here at um, the new center, uh, which is a wonderful community center um, right at the front of uh, the Belvedere neighborhood. And I don't know how many units are in the Belvedere neighborhood, but it's quite new. And a lot of people um, have chosen to, to move here. So it's the area that continues to grow. Yeah, and I'll add to that, Belvedere is a great example of what we have seen in recent decades of development where the the neighborhood, the entire area, more or less has one way in or out, and that that is to Rio Road, which forces all of the traffic 
to the primary corridor, which is why Raya Road has a lot of traffic on it. And at certain times of the day, it can be rather frustrating to be making a left-hand turn out of Belvedere. So that also, so we have these these new de newer developments, um, but then uh, if you go towards Route 29, you start to see uh, the older developments and even homes that have been uh, on the corridor for a really long time. So people have driveways that lead out onto the Rio corridor. Yeah, people do have driveways that lead out onto the Rio corridor, and there, there is still only a few of them that remain, uh, and that's really probably still associated with the era, era, the era when Rio Road was a two-lane road, and it was in some ways kind of a residential street connecting people to either the city or to 29, but mostly to their homes. And so you see this in the older neighborhoods too. You see this uh, with the Northfield area and Old Brook and these neighborhoods that come into Rio up near Hillsdale. These neighborhoods more or less have one way in or out still. And that was really on purpose. That was because in the 30s, the Public Works Administration created um, basically the National Planning Board, the National Planning Association, and someone studied and came up with the conclusion that neighborhoods are safer if traffic can't pass through them. And what that ultimately did was push all the traffic to a primary road. But I think what we're realizing now is that good design can actually over, overcome some of these challenges where cars and people can interact safely. So that, I guess, gets us to our um, the question of why do we need a corridor plan? We have a lot of, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of diversity of uses and needs. Like, what is a corridor plan and sure. why would we need one? Sure. Well, specifically, a corridor plan would be a guiding document that enables the jurisdiction or the municipality, in this case, Albemarle County, to have um, a guide to help inform decision making both with future developments that happen along the corridor and how they should develop both um, kind of inform with how they relate to the corridor but also they're really important because in, in kind of our current environment municipalities can apply for funding for projects that help improve streets and roads and so if you have a corridor plan you can use that document to identify what needs to be done and how much that might cost and and when and where it should be done and so we have finite resources and we have you know to pick and choose what we spend our time and money on and so if you have a guiding document you can basically say okay we have this money to spend and it should be spent in this way so it's really a uh, a degree of prudence by the municipality to have this guiding document in hand and then, so when it comes to uh, thinking through some of the influencing documents, what are some of those documents, policies, um, that you all take into consideration before starting in on the um, corridor plan? Well, it's always really important to know the framework that a corridor plan is going to play a part of. And so for us, the starting place is the county's comp plan. And what a comp plan does is it tries to plan or recommend the development patterns within a given territory. Because the population continues to grow and because the county needs to guide that, that growth, these comprehensive plans are, are a logical starting place for how a corridor like Raya Road ultimately uh, can play a part in that. 
the reason I think Rio Road specifically is very important is because the County Board of Supervisors has specifically acknowledged that the county is becoming increasingly urbanized around the ring of Charlottesville. We, we more or less have a city around a city in many respects. And so Rio Road being right in the, in the middle of that ring around the city, this corridor can be expected to become increasingly urban and therefore the needs of that community are going to be specifically different. Okay, so the comprehensive plan is is a broad document that addresses uh, development and um, community needs across the entire county. Um, now tell me about uh, how we break it down into smaller areas in terms of documents. Right, so the county's comprehensive plan identified five areas that needed a master plan. And those areas are Crozet. You can think of Crozet as like a development area within the county. Uh, also, Pantops has a master plan. Places 29 has a master plan. That's the master plan that Rio falls within in terms of a guiding document. And then there's uh, two others as well, Western Neighborhoods Master Plan and the Village of Urbana Master Plan. Now, these master plans take on a more specific look at land use uh, within a, a smaller, more granular picture. So the county says, hey, the, the comprehensive plan says, hey, we have these five areas that we've designated as growth areas. Each of those areas gets a, a master plan. So, and actually the county has more than just five growth areas, but these are the five that currently have master plans. And then you drill down even again and say, okay, well, land wants to be used in these ways within these master planned areas, but how specifically do we want to use it? And so a good example of this is the Rio 29 small area plan, which really gets down to looking at the land in almost a block by block fashion. And the Rio 29 small area plan is really centered around the Fashion Square Mall, Albemarle Square, Rio Hill. It basically, it's circled around the intersection of 29 and Rio. And that's a very important document because as those commercial properties redevelop, we really want to help guide guide that development and, and land use so that it actually meets the needs of the community. So that, that really sets the stage then for a corridor plan. That's the next more granular level. And really, because a corridor plan is county-owned property for the most part. I mean, VDOT administra is the administrator of the roads in many respects, but it's county property. So unlike a private landowner, who might own, say, the Fashion Square Mall property or Albemarle Square Shopping Center, the county owns Rio Road. And so the county, by looking at the road very specifically, can try to set the tone for how adjacent land uses will relate to the road. Did you know that the host of this podcast also drives a big van around the county? The Let's Talk Albemarle van creates pop-up workshops and outreach events to aim to connect our community to projects, resources, and each other. Visit albemarle.org to see where the van will pop up next. And now, back to the show.
we have the comprehensive plan and then drilling down into the master plan, the small area plans. In your design process, it sounds like you have to become familiar with all of these documents, um, very familiar with these documents before you even start. That is kind of the pre-work to the design. Now, can you tell us about what your design process is internally and then how we work with the community in, in terms of design? We spend a lot of time getting smart about both the history of the corridor and all of the frameworks that the corridor certainly works within. But we also have to keep our eyes up about what opportunities are currently being missed. And so the first thing our team did is we parked our cars at KTEC and we walked along the sidewalk from all the way up to Fashion Square Mall on one side of the road and then we walked back on the other side of the road. And we did it in small groups so that um, both we, we were with people and we could dialogue about it, but, but small enough groups that not one person could dominate the experience. And so we had these specific experiences of the corridor as users. And I myself actually live adjacent to it. And so I ride my bike along the corridor trying to ride my bike out into the rural areas of the county. So I'd already experienced it as a bicyclist. And now our entire team had experienced it as pedestrians. And so we started to pay attention to things that were disturbing to us or things that were um, you know, less than ideal from a user's experience as a pedestrian. Obviously, there's many vehicles using the road every day and their experiences range from pleasant to unpleasant depending on where they're getting on or getting off. And so we try to become a user of the, the corridor itself and put ourselves in the position of the people who live here and use the corridor daily. And we let that begin to guide our, our work. So before we really bring any design work out for people to, to give us feedback on, we just try to really experience it. In terms of the community, how, how do you learn about um, what the community's experience is and, and how does that work its way into the, the, the planning, the design work? And then maybe share a little bit um, with us about what you've heard from the community. I think part of that actually dovetails with your work specifically, Serena, because you've created opportunities for us to hear from folks who live along the corridor or who use the corridor as commuters. And so early on we did have a more or less a listening session where we got to solicit feedback with general questions about how do people use the corridor, where are they going, how many times per day. and. Then um, we begin to try to put pen to paper. We're trying to put pen to paper in a way that is thoughtful. And so in thinking through the pedestrian experience, you know, you have people walking along a road where vehicles are traveling 40 to 45 miles per hour. That's not pleasant. How do we create space there? Where can we find space along the corridor um, that is not being used? We look very specifically around intersections where there may or may not be space available to reprogram and so kind of looking for trends of use or lack of use and then saying okay there, there's a need here but there's no provision for the need where can that need fit roadway projects are unique in that you're generally working with a confined amount of space there's only the the property that belongs to the county that is the right-of-way of Raya Road is only so wide and not only is it but so wide, it actually varies in width depending on where in the corridor you are. So we just start to really 
map all of this out in, in diagrams to figure out where where space exists and then we start to think about programming it in in ways that honor people who are currently not uh, included and one interesting thing on this corridor that we've noticed is there's a lot of bus stops but the bus stops are very hard to find and if you do happen to find it you see that little you know six by nine inch sign on a post kind of behind a you know a light pole there's really nowhere defined to stand and so that automatically you're, you're kind of inhibiting access to mass transit I mean you can get to it if you need to if you really really need it you'll get there but if you kind of wanted to know that it was an option for your daily commute you're not really observing that and what that actually does is it it becomes disproportionately more difficult for people who really need things to actually get to them and along the corridor there are a number of neighborhoods or communities where the median incomes are lower and that that transit opportunity might be more necessary and so how do we actually allow this corridor to serve the needs of everyone not just the person who's commuting to downtown or someone who's turning to go to soccer practice in Belvedere but really everyone and we, we try to capture that so it sounds like uh, you're really taking the county's mission to heart, which is to enhance the well-being for all residents. What other kind of information do you pull in to start to understand where some of the opportunities are? Yeah, that's a great question, and that really um, is where we were specifically benefited on this project because there were so many different traffic studies or engineering studies along the corridor that other professionals had done in the past. And when we began to look at those documents and study VDOT crash data along the corridor, we really started to realize that there's several, for lack of a better term, hotspots. There's, there's several areas in the corridor that are specifically deficient to meeting the needs of the folks who want to use the corridor. And those areas are generally circled in, in kind of three areas. One is the Hillsdale-Oldbrook-Northfield intersection, which I've just started referring to as an eight-way intersection. It's technically two signalized intersections that are so close to each other that it's, it's a big problem for, for functionality and safety. Another hotspot area is really between Greenbrier Drive and Gasoline Alley. And this is where we see four or five commercial properties in a row that are almost entirely service-oriented for vehicle travel, gas stations, car washes, so on and so forth. And all of the entrances of those properties are so close together that it's, it's woefully inadequate to manage access to those properties in a safe manner. And the third hotspot is really the combination of Belvedere slash John Warner Rio in front of you know Dunlora and these neighborhoods. That area has its own challenges. And each of these previous studies looked specifically at that those areas, but those individuals and those professionals who, who contributed to those studies didn't have the privilege of taking three or four very big steps back and looking at the corridor as a whole. They were just looking at the problem area they were tasked to look at. And like, you know, probably some famous saying that I'm not going to be able to think of on the spot, you find the problem you're looking for. And so they found problems at those intersections, but they didn't see trends that could be connected and solved as a cohesive uh, design problem. The guiding question for the corridor plan is how might we improve the experience of the corridor for all residents? 
Um, how has that influenced the way that you've approached um, your study and your work? A good starting point for that is this term called level of service. And level of service is a term that traffic engineers use to define the uh, how well an intersection or a roadway is working. It's really a, a volume to capacity ratio. And that says, for example, this roadway has capacity for 10,000 vehicles per day to travel at a, at a rate that's sufficient and safe and where vehicles are spaced out safely. If that roadway is carrying then 30,000 vehicles per day, the level of service will be degraded. It will be less, uh, less good, for lack of a better term. And so, but if you look at history, if you go all the way back to the original highway capacity manual, which was really the guiding document for roadways of, that helped design roadways like Raya Road, we find that when the highway capacity manual was originally developed in the 1960s, level of service was understood to be not just a quantifiable uh, piece of data, but a qualitative experience. And so we wanted to lean heavily on this idea of qualitative experience. We know that the math and the formulas and the numbers are saying these are problematic areas and this is the level of service, A, B, C, or D, so on and so forth. But our team said, we really want to find a way to take qualitative experience and turn it into a, a data set that we can actually use to inform design. So we overlaid basically a set of parameters along the entire length of the corridor that measured pedestrian experience and comfort. We looked at lighting, we looked at crosswalks, we looked at the condition of sidewalks. We looked at things like mass transit, we looked at things like shade. We really try to, in every way, break the corridor down into its component parts, but then to be able to make them into qualitative experiences. And what we really learned is that this corridor is woefully inadequate to provide any kind of quality experience for anyone other than a car getting to downtown Charlottesville or to Route 29. And so we are leaning very heavily on that, that overlay to inform where the improvements can and should go. And what that looks like is reclaiming some of the space that's been dedicated purely to vehicles and using that space to introduce, whether it's you know uh, a buffer space between the sidewalk and the roadway, or in some places, raised medians that can be planted. So there's opportunities for us to reclaim space, but those opportunities are really dictated by where our qualitative overlay has shown inadequacies. And sadly, that's the vast majority of the corridor. So that's interesting to me because because of this different approach, you're able to capture what the, I guess, traffic data doesn't. So the fact that we don't have a lot of pedestrian use of the corridor isn't because people don't want to walk. It's because the conditions um, aren't satisfactory for people to walk. So if we looked at just the count of people walking, that might not tell us the same information as actually understanding the full experience. That's a really good way to say it. And the way I would kind of um, reiterate that is from a purely quantitative analysis, so an engineer might say, oh, look, the sidewalk has three people per day. It has plenty of capacity for more people to walk on it. So this is a good sidewalk. Instead of saying, why does it only have three people per day on it? 
certainly people don't want to be there or there's nowhere for them to walk, which is really where we can dovetail into land use and zoning. Well, that wraps up part one of our conversation about Rio Road and the inaugural edition of the Let's Talk Albemarle podcast. First, thanks to Daniel Heyer for being my very first guest on Let's Talk Albemarle. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned because part two will address land use and zoning along the corridor, what our team has been hearing from the community, roundabouts, 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 and okay, once we have this vision, what's next? And why does it take so long to make it happen? I would love to hear from you. Call or email me to share your constructive feedback, suggest a topic, or ask a question you have about Albemarle County local government. 434-296-5841, extension 3274, or sgruia at albemarle.org. Albemarle, we need to have a talk. Let's talk Albemarle!